Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, guys, good morning. Um, If you would, let's pray together before we get started. Heavenly Father, uh, we just ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and that you would speak to us. God, I, I believe you want to pour out onto us today, and I just pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it. So God, we ask that your, uh, your, your guidance would be here, your conviction, your encouragement, and God, we pray that we would leave here uh, empowered and ready for what you want us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well guys, the title of today's message is What I Need is Water. And right now you might be going, that doesn't make any sense, but I do hope and pray that it'll be very clear uh, before we finish this story today, because we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament uh, found in 1 Kings chapter 18. And a little background before we dive into this of what's taking place is in 1 Kings 18, it talks about uh, a king that was over the nation of Israel, and uh, the nation of Israel at this time had turned away from God. Many times they'd, they'd follow God and then they'd turn away and, f- and follow um, false idols and worship other things and do life their own way. And then they'd come back and follow him a little bit. And they were kind of wavering back and forth between following God and not following God. And the Bible tells us that there was an evil king over Israel at the time. The Bible says uh, he was, no one had been more evil than this king before uh, in Israel. And it was King Ahab. And you say, well, what would make him such an evil king. Well, one of the things that Ahab married badly. You go, well, how badly could you marry? About as badly as you could possibly marry. He married a woman by the name of Jezebel. And uh, I can tell you there are not many things that are are so tied to the outcome of your life uh, than there is the issue of marriage and whom you choose to do life with. And when he found this woman, Jezebel, he married her because she was a Phoenician princess. And he was thinking, if I marry this woman, then I could, I could set up um, through this Phoenician city seaport and we could import and export goods. And he was thinking this is a, uh, possibly a good money move, but it wasn't a good soul move for him. So when he brought uh, Jezebel into his bed, she brought with him a lot of things that ended up getting into King Ahab's heart. And what we see in the scriptures, we see that Jezebel was into some importing and some exporting of her own. In fact, uh, she was all about importing uh, the worship of a false god by the name of Baal. And the way that they worship Baal, it would make your stomach turn. If you get back into the story and read, it, it's, it, it was some disgusting stuff. There was, there was uh, sacrifices and cutting and bleeding and orgies and, and all sorts of, of things that, that you and I don't even want to talk about. That's how they worship this false god Baal. And she was trying to import this into the nation of Israel, all the while trying to export the God of the Bible. And in doing so... In a short period of time, she became very successful, and the nation of Israel was turning their back on God, and they were worshiping Baal. But we see that there was kind of this wavering. It's like like they wanted to do some of the things that Baal worship was all about, and like there were people that were interested in a little bit of what they were seeing there, and they wanted to live their own way, and there were people that were, yeah, I was interested. I, I, I want to participate in this form of worship or do this or do that. But they still remembered how they were raised and remembered the God 
of their nation. They remember the God of the Bible. And they thought, you know, uh, I guess we could go through the motions and we could still worship God the way he says he wants to be worshipped. It's kind of like on Sundays I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship God, but I'm going to live the way I want to live on Monday through Saturday. I'm not going to let anyone get in the way of the way I want to do my life. And there's this kind of this wavering going back and forth of like, am I going to worship God or not? Am I going to worship some false God? Am I going to worship my own desires more are not, and we see that God was not pleased. He looked at this and saw his nation that he's so faithful to. And our God is faithful, even when we're not. But he looks at this nation that he's so faithful to, and they're, they're turning their back on him. So he decides to uh, raise up a prophet. And, and now we see this man come onto the scene, and his name is Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the Tishbite. Now, we don't know much about him, but it was kind of strange how just all of a sudden he shows up on the scene, and he shows up in Ahab's throne room. So we haven't heard anything about him, but like, and this would have been weird because even his physical appearance, we don't know much about him other than the fact that the Bible says he was hairy and he wore a leather belt, okay? Hairy and a leather belt. The same description could be given to Chewbacca, Okay. It would have been weird. He, he shows up into to the throne room of Ahab and he says, um, guys, it's not going to rain until I say it will. So he had that going for him. Um, it was like the first sermon right out of the gates. Like this is my opportunity to preach. He says, as sure as God is in heaven, it will not rain, no rain, no dew until I say it will. And then he leaves. Now, Think of how weird this must have been. Like, the people had to be like, hold on a minute. Like, what was a Chewbacca? Like, coming in here, giving us some negative weather forecast, and then running off. Like, that would have been strange. But get this. Like, it didn't rain. Not for a week. Not for a month. Not for a year. In fact, we, we catch up in the story where we're about to look in now, and it's been three years, and there has not been a drop of water that has hit their land. And now they're going, someone find that hairy guy. Like, we need to have a talk with him, right? They're, they're upset. They're going, this guy, he's like against us. There's got to be some sort of problem with this guy. We need to find him. And it was about this time that God spoke to Elijah and said, Elijah, it's time. I think my people are ready for me to turn their hearts back to me. And, you know, sometimes the difficulties we go through can be a blessing. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is allow us to go through a difficult time if it will cause us to wake up and look at the fact that maybe we did have our backs turned to God. And we see that God says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go gather all the people, gather the nation of Israel and take them up on Mount Carmel and, and we're gonna start there. So we're gonna look here, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 says, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Well, why Mount Carmel? Like, What's significant about that? Well, see, the Phoenicians believed that Mount Carmel was where their, uh, their false god Baal actually dwelt, where, where he lived. So, so Elijah's like, okay, I'm going to whoop you on your own field, y'all. Like, I ain't afraid at all. Let's take it right to where you think your God is, where you think your God is powerful, and I'm going to show you something. So he shows up and says, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. So he's kind of like, guys, pick a team. Like, do, do you believe that God is God or do you believe that this 
this idol you worship is God because you need to decide, you need to pick a team. And it says, the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and then cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. This is like classic guy, right? Let's, let's settle this over the barbecue, you know? You put meat out, I'll put meat out. Whoever flicks their bick the first, like, we'll go with that one. So it says, then all the people said, what you say is good. Okay, we agree. Whoever can answer by fire, then certainly that's got to be God. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So he's saying, not only am I giving you home field advantage, but I'm going to let you go first with no coin toss. So, so they took the bull given to them and prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal. From morning till noon, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. Why? Because they were talking to a volleyball. <laughs> you might get that later. A... And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or he's busy. The, the actual translation from the Hebrew in this says maybe he's covering his feet like his pants are around his ankles like he's going to the bathroom right now. So, uh, so maybe he's traveling, you know, maybe he's sleeping and has to be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until blood flowed. And aren't you glad that God doesn't demand our blood but instead he, he sent his son to, to give you his blood? said midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, and this is where it gets interesting. He said to the people now, fill four jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered them, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, notice there's no hysteria, there's no screaming, because he knows God hears him. He knows it's not about what he's going to do for God, but it's about what God wants to do for us that is about to take place here. She says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Guys, that's what I want to see. I want to see God blessing us so much in our lives that our city looks at us and goes, well, the Lord, he must be God. Look what he's doing here. He must be God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them. And, the, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Wow, that, the job of a pastor has certainly changed. <laughs> like, it's just another day. Just the job of a pastor is never done. Just marrying, burying, and slaughtering people, you know. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for he, there is a sound of a heavy rain. See, the people in this passage that we just read about were spectators in almost everything for the most part. You see, what do you mean? Well, they, they were spectators in the story. The people, the, the 12 tribes of Israel that, that were gathered up when Elijah said, let's, let's send word out, we're going up to the mountain. We see that the people, they, they were there, they could have just you know, been eating popcorn, watching. Watching what? Watching while the prophets of Baal prepared a bull and put it on wood. And while the prophets of Baal were screaming out and dancing and, and, and hysterical, they, they watched while the prophets of Baal cut themselves and, and they watched while, while Baal wasn't able to respond. And then what else did they watch? They, they watched when Elijah told the people, gather around, come to me. And Elijah got down on the ground and he rebuilt the altar that no one had been going to. No one had been worshiping God. No one had been serving God. He, he went there and by himself, he, he, he began to rebuild the altar and, and the people just watched. And then, and then they watched when fire fell down from heaven. And they watched as, as God showed his glory. But, but, but what's interesting about this for the most part is the people were just spectators to all these things. They only had one job. One job. The one job that they were told by Elijah, he says, pour water out. Fill up these jars and pour it on the altar. And, and there's this one job that they had, and then fire fell down from heaven, and we see that God returned rain to their land and, and, and brought blessings back to their land. So, so first off, there's, there's two things we need to know about rain in the Bible. Anytime you see rain in the Bible, rain, uh, first off, is, is always a sign or a symbol of the blessings of God. Like, look at the way Deuteronomy says it. Deuteronomy says it this way. So if you faithfully obey my commands I am giving you today to, the, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. So rain was symbolic of God's blessing. And then number two, rain, it was always a matter of life and death. Always a matter of life and death. When you're talking about water, you're talking about survival. And, and these people were in a point where this, this was serious. So when they were invited to come up here and, and watch all of this take place, they're going, well, if this is going to be what, what brings rain back to our land, then maybe we'll survive. Maybe my kids will survive. I mean, 
<clears throat> excuse me, the Bible talks about this was getting so bad to the point to where there's actually a, a conversation where they're talking about splitting horses up away from the cattle and sending them in different directions to find grass because, like, maybe we need to see if, like, uh, are we going to end up with food or transportation in all of this? Because we, we know we can't have both because it, it's getting this bad. So the people, they're up here on the mountain. They're watching all this take place. And then Elijah says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to pour water out on the altar. Now, this is weird to me because, I mean, you guys know I'm an outdoors guy and stuff like that, but I'm not, like, great at it or anything. I can tell you, when it comes to taking my family camping, I have a hard enough time getting dry wood to light, you know? You guys feel my pains? Like, that's why I thank God for Duraflame logs, you know? We, we, we bring a gallon of gasoline and Duraflame logs into the woods when we go camping because, like, it's hard to, to get... To just dry wood to light. And what the people are told by Elijah is what I want you to do is I want you to dump water onto the altar and onto the wood here that, that, that God's about to burn. And like, if I was there, I think I'd have gone up to like this, this hairy belted guy and been like, Excuse me, Elijah, sir. Like, I know you know what you're doing. Obviously, like, you've been able to stop the rain, so, like, you, you know what you're talking about. But if, like, if what you're trying to do is get this thing to catch on fire, then maybe water is not the best idea. Maybe this doesn't make sense to pour water out on the altar. But here's the first point. God can do the impossible, and he calls us to do the impractical. I hope you'll catch that today. God can do the impossible, and he calls us to do the impractical. This is how powerful things get done. This is God's M.O. here. He's like, he tells us, you know, I'll do the impossible things. I'll forgive sins. I'll I'll give salvation. I'll I'll do miracles. I'll heal people's lands. I'll heal, heal people's bodies. I will do the impossible, but many times what he does is he calls us to do the impractical. Things that are counterintuitive. Things that when you look at it, you're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's not a good way to live my life. That's strange. That'll never work. But if we look at it, I mean, just some of the stories we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, we've seen one story after another where, where, where there's things that like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, it, you can't put water on wood. Like, you can't light it on fire if you do that afterwards. Wet wood doesn't light. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. The wetter, the better. You know, it's kind of like Gideon. You look at Gideon's story. Gideon had a large army, and he was about to go up in, against a huge army, and God said, your army's too big. And Gideon's like, say what? <laughs> you, you, my army's too big. No, I need more people. And goes, no, 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 no. I want you to get rid of some people. In fact, tell everyone who's scared, send them home. If they drink water weird, send them home too. And, and he does that, and then Gideon stands there. He looks around and finds out he's standing there with just 300 men to fight an entire army. He had to have been wetting himself. But remember... The wetter, the better, right? <laughs> so God says to Joshua, uh, I'm going to give you the city. What I want you to do is I want you to walk around it, and I want you to yell at it. They're like, okay, that's a good idea. We'll, we'll write that down, but we're still taking ideas, right? Like, we'll just put a pin in that one for later. Like, but what, what is this all about? Why is it God that asks us to do impractical things? I mean, like, what really what God is looking for is he's looking for faith. He's looking, will you trust me? Do you believe that the way you can see this coming together is going to be how you get your help? Or do you believe that I am God and I'll help you however I want to? 
He's saying, so just trust me. This is what I've come to learn in my own life is really the instruction is certainly not the most important thing. It's the source of the instruction, the source of the direction. Because a lot of times we say, well, what, do you, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And really the question should be, uh, well, who said this? Because what does God say? What, what does God say? If God says it, then I'm going to do it. Did God say march around? Then we'll do it. Did God say put water on the wood? Then we'll do it. Did God say it? Because if God said it, I'm going to do it. The answer is yes, simply if he said it. I mean, it, really, he's looking, are, are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to trust me even if it doesn't make sense? Even if it doesn't make sense. And really, guys, that's what... I want to be at the end of my life. I, I have people, they look at me and they ask me weird questions like, why, why do you guys live the way you do? Why, why, why do you send your kids to church services so much? Why do you send them to 4640 conferences? Why do you do all this? I'm just like, because God is on the throne. And if, if, if he is God, then I'm going to live my life for him. If he said do it, I'm going to do it. And that's the end of it. And, and that's just the way I want to live my life. I want to be faithful. And that's how I've always taught this passage. Teaching it in children's ministry, teaching it to adult services a couple of different times. That's how I've always taught this passage. But I can tell you, I, I heard a question that it blew my mind. It, it, and it made me look at this a whole different way and realize there's something so much more that God might want to say to us. Because first off, I can tell you, I, I, I get frustrated with some of the commentaries about this story. Because a lot of what you read about this story, like, like, like what's with the water? A lot of the commentators will write things that I'm not satisfied with the answer to go, but to make it impossible. Because wet wood doesn't burn. Like the, the importance of the, wa- with, of the water was to make sure everyone knew it was impossible. Like, wait, wait, can we talk about this for a minute? Like, so you're saying at the command of a prophet, there's going to be a meteorite fall out of outer space and land on the perfect spot on a mountain in front of a bunch of people and light a pile of dead meat on fire, and you're saying that water is what makes this impossible? Like, like God's in heaven going, check this out, I'm going to ratchet up the level of difficulty just a little bit, right? Watch this. Like, there, there's fire coming out of heaven, and oh, oh no, a puddle. It's going to be cray-cray now, right? Like, yeah, but you've heard it taught this way. Like, seriously, like, it, oh my gosh, with the water on it, now it's rated R. It was just PG-13 before, but, but seriously, like, but here's what's interesting about this. The water didn't have anything to do with Elijah. The water had everything to do with the people, because remember the context of this. They've been in a drought for three years. People are, are, are losing things. They're losing cattle. They're losing their homes. There's, there's people dying. The, this is serious now. They're, they're, they're losing everything they need. What they need is water. So, so water wasn't just to, to heighten the difficulty level. Water was a precious commodity. The water was exactly what the people needed. It's why they climbed up on Mount Carmel in the first place. So I heard a pastor ask this question. When I heard it, it's just like, Open this scripture up for me. It's this question. Where'd the water come from? Where did it come from? Because they just said, fill up the pots with water and pour it out on the altar. Like, where's the water? We're up on Mount Carmel. There's no water here. There's no streams here. There's no reservoirs here. Like, 
what would you do? And like one, one guy makes a, a comment. You can find it where he makes a comment and says, well, what they must have done is they must have sent people to climb down off Mount Carmel, travel to the Mediterranean Sea, and then fill up pots of water and travel back to Mount Carmel, climb back up on Mount Carmel. But remember, the, the story shows us that this has been taking place all day long. And now it's time for the evening sacrifice. He says, fill the pots with water, and suddenly the people were there ready with their water. There's only one logical explanation of where this water came from. The people that traveled from the 12 tribes that came up onto Mount Carmel to watch this take place, to be spectators, they're there, and this is their own personal drinking water that they brought with them. The difference between life and death. The connection to God's blessings. It's what they had. And what they're told to do is I want you to pour water out into these jars and we're going to pour it onto the altar and see what they were asked to do they could do but only if they all worked together they all had to give a little bit so Elijah says okay guys I want you to fill the pots with water uh, Elijah that's why we're here <laughs> we don't have any water fill it with water you can just imagine Elijah's kicked back. He knows who God is. He knows what's going to take place. In fact, the Bible says that, that there are actually ravens that, that God would send to come feed Elijah. So Elijah's like, guys, we could wait all day. I got a Capri Sun coming in like 15 minutes. Like, I, I, I'm good, you know. So just like, you do whatever you want, but fill the pots with water. Finally, a couple people are like, well, I, I got this canteen, and and I guess I can pour it out. And another person comes and brings the water they have. And now I got this. And they get the, three pot, the four pots of water. And, and they pour it out. And the people are like, oh, oh that hurts. Like, that's, that's what we need. That's, that's serious there. And he goes, do it again. Do it again. He's like, remember, I could, I could wait here all night, guys. Like, seriously. And finally, the guy's like, oh, I forgot. I have a camel back on. Let me, uh, let me bring this over here. And finally, People started gathering together and bringing the resources they had and they put it into the jars. And it was only after, only after the people poured out what they had did God decide, okay, now I'm ready to do for my people what I've wanted to do for them so long. I want to bring the blessings back. I want to bring the rain back. I want to pour out on my people. What is the point of all this? Number two, it's giving, not keeping that leads to receiving. It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. Remember, this is impractical. This is, this is counterintuitive. See, but if they would have kept the little bit of water that they had, and it could have been all that they had. If they would have kept the little bit that they had, and, and that they were holding on to so much, then that would have been all that they had. It, that's it. That's what you got. That's the little bit that you got that you're wanting to go by with. But but when they poured out, what we see is God then took what they poured out and he multiplied it and he re returned it to them. And he brought in a deep and dark, heavy rain and filled up their trenches and filled up their reservoirs and filled up their cisterns so that they didn't just have enough for their canteen, but they had enough for everything they could possibly want. It, the Bible says he open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing on us that we won't even have enough rain for it. You go, wait a minute, preacher. Are you talking about money right now? Well, possibly this is about money. You know, possibly right now, if that's what you're feeling agitated in right now, maybe, maybe for you this is something about money. 
Because the Bible does say in Proverbs eleven twenty four, one person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly and comes to poverty. That's what we just saw here. The people could hang on to the little bit that they had, but instead they gave and so much more was given back to them. Same verse in the message translation, Eugene Peterson says it this way. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. See, it's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. You see this, we're, we're talking 1 Kings 18 right now. If you jump one chapter back, 1 Kings 17, we, we see what was Elijah doing this whole time that the, the drought was going on? He was, he was hiding. He, was, he went to a widow's house. And the widow uh, was like about to die. She was running out of everything she had. She was starving to death, her and her son. So Elijah comes to her and says, would you make a cake for me? Would you give me a piece of bread? And, and she said, I don't have enough to do that. I can't, I can't handle In fact, what I'm going to do is we're going we're gonna to make our last meal, and my son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. So, okay, if that's what you want to do. Sounds like a good plan. Or like I'm not going to stop your eating and dying thing. That's fine. But before you do that, Go ahead and make me a small cake first. And the, the Bible says that the widow said, okay. And she made a small cake and gave it to the prophet of God. And, and then the Bible says that for that entire famine, she never ran out of the oil. She never ran out of the grain that she needed. And God sustained her the whole time. Why? Because it's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. So you go, Pastor, is this message about money? Well, really, it could be and it could not be because what this message is about is what they needed. Because what the people needed, they needed water. And that's why they were up on the mountain. And what was it? If you're up on the mountain needing water, what was it God asked them to pour out? It was water. And I wonder sometimes if there's something in your life that you're holding on to, you're being stingy with, going, this is all I have left, and I need more of it. And God's saying, that's the very thing I want you to pour out. Saying, but God, I feel so discouraged. I just, I want someone to come and encourage me. Would someone come and give to me? And maybe God's saying, maybe what I want you to do is pour out some encouragement. But God, what I want is I want some friendship. And, and, and maybe God's going, what I want you to do is pour out some friendship on someone else. Is there some area in your life where you have lack, where you have need, and, and you've just been trying to hold on to the little bit you have left? Because God shows us this principle in this story and all throughout the Bible that it's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. Here's another way you could say. You could say, don't pay for what you won't. Uh, don't pray for what you won't pay for. Because there, things have a cost. And you say, well, I want friendship. I, I feel lonely. I want friendship. Are you willing to pay the price to make time in your schedule to pour into friendship with other people? I want encouragement. Are you willing to be an encouragement to other people? I want finances. I, are you willing to be generous? I want my kids to, uh, to grow up and, and live a life that God would have them to. Are you willing to make time in your schedule to teach them about how God would have them live then? Are you willing to pour out those very things that you need? Because it was only after the children of Israel took the very precious commodity that they had, that very little bit that they had, and they poured it out on the altar of God that we see that God sent fire down from heaven and he sent rain to come and cover the land. Would you stand with me? Paul said it another way. 
In Philippians 2.17, he says, But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Paul's saying it this way. He's going, if you want to receive, then you got to look at your life being like an offering poured out to God. Are you, are you serving him? Are you serving other people? Are you, are you keeping God on the throne of your life and saying, well, God, if you said it, then I'm going to do it? It, it, it doesn't matter how weird and how impractical it is. It doesn't matter if I can understand how this is going to work out. If you said it, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to pour myself out because I believe that I could hold on to what I have and it's just a little, I believe I could give it to God. And if I do, he can multiply it. I want to give a little word of warning to you before we pray and we dismiss because there are those of you in here that you're like, okay, I'm ready to do that then. I'm ready to start pouring my life out. I'm ready to start doing the impractical things. I want to see God do blessings in my life. And if, if you do that, then he will send the rain. But when he sends the rain, you're going to hear it before you see it. And this is where the difficulty can come in in our faith is when, you, when he sends the rain, you're going to hear it before you see it. What's strange about this, because the Bible says here, it's... In 1 Kings it says, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Now, just matter of fact, you and I, we wouldn't say it sounds like rain. We would say, looks like rain. I can see rain coming. In fact, in the story it describes that there were clear skies. It describes that, that it didn't look like rain. It didn't look anything like what God had just promised. So when Elijah is saying, I hear the sound of rain, he's not talking about thunder and lightning. He's not talking about actual sound there. What is he talking about? He's talking about the promise of God. God said he's going to do it, so it's going to happen. So it, it, you're going to hear it before you see it. This is where your faith ha has to endure because you're going to live your life pouring out for God, getting ready for him to come back and bless you. And you're going to look around sometimes and go, this doesn't look like blessing. Man, this doesn't look like what I prayed for. You know what we see happen later in the stories? We see Elijah then went up on the mountain and he covered his head. He got, got down with his, his head between his knees so he could like cover his ears, block everything else out and just pray so he could keep hearing the word of God, so he could keep hearing the sound of blessing coming into his life because every time he'd look up, he'd look and see it doesn't look like rain yet, but God said he's gonna do it. He said he's gonna do it. He said he's gonna do it. So God, help me, help me to block everything else out. I say this with a word of warning because when you look around and you see that your life doesn't look anything like the promises that God has promised you, don't get worried, don't get panicked, don't get freaked out, don't get impatient, get praying. Get back to a place where you're blocking out all of the sounds. Block out the news channel. Some of you need to turn the TV off right now. Block out all those other voices that are stressing you out, that are worrying you, and start listening to what God is speaking into you because he has a promise he wants to fulfill in you. Would you bow your heads? God, I thank you for every person in this room, and I thank you for the fact that you want to pour out blessing in our lives. And right now, we ask you, what is it you want us to do today? What impractical thing have you been asking me to do that I haven't been doing it because I've been trying to figure out how, how it's supposed to work on my own? 
God, what is it that you want me to pour out? Do I need to pour out encouragement? Do I need to pour out some love? Do I need to pour out some forgiveness to some other people? What is it that I've been holding on to that you've been asking me to pour out? Because God, I want to cooperate with you today and I want to pour out everything you tell me to pour out because I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I want to put it in your hands so you can bring the miracle, you can bring the blessing, you can bring the rain. So God, I thank you for each and every person in here. And I pray that you would pour out your encouragement on us today. I pray that as we leave here, we would leave here excited for what you're going to do in our life. And when we go out into the world and we go, oh, it doesn't look like what God said he was going to do. I pray that we would stop listening to the world and we would start listening to your promises and your truth and your word. So God, help us to block out all the worry. And instead of worrying, help us to come to you and keep praying until we see our miracle, God. So we can come before you and thank you for how truly great you are. Because God, you are God. Thank you so much for your love for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's give them a shout of praise before you go today. Love you guys. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. See you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you God for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, Or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.